Hello and welcome to episode 13 of this A for Life. I'm Alison Smanoff and I'm joined once again by Julia Kiera. How are you going? I'm well, Al. How are you? I'm very well. 13 seems a lot. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. It was a long, but not long, AFLW season. Mm, true. Now, we've got a very special guest today. Mm. Very exciting. Um, a real up-and-comer in <laughs> AFLW. <laughs> She's going to be something this one She's, day. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Melbourne captain Daisy Pierce. Welcome. Thanks, Al. Thanks, JC. Episode 13, I didn't realise that. I'm a bit superstitious, so I might not have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's mm. great to be here. Although, where is your child? Oh, sorry, I, I shuffled him off to childcare. <laughs> that was another reason why I said yes, <laughs> because I thought I would get my mitts on your, your beautiful little boy, but okay, I'll have to come and visit him mm-hmm. another time to see him. It's all right, you can take some of your tr- trains home with you if you like. <laughs> Just pretend. <laughs> now, um, when we have a guest on the show, we usually uh, start with some warm-up questions. That's good. They they're sound scary. They're really hard-hitting. <laughs> um, well, this is quite an obvious one, but what footy team do you barrack for? Oh, my heart beats true. I'm a, I'm a Melbourne through and through. I used to barrack for Carlton. so that I know. We were trying to get you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes. I'm well and truly Melbourne now. Although I did wonder whether I could feel a bit of Carlton in me when they beat GWS on the weekend mm. by a point because I was jumping and screaming to myself. <laughs> yeah. But I think anyone would have when an underdog mm. wins like that. True. And uh, who was your football idol growing up? Ooh, that's a tough one. I loved being a Carlton supporter. I loved Brett Ratton, mm-hmm. um, really good midfielder. And I loved the way he, I, I tr- you know, growing up, that's how I tried to play. Mm. He brought his teammates into it, mm. like a Sam Mitchell sort of does. Yeah. He wasn't that flashy or yeah. spectacular, but he, he made other people look spectacular. Yes, <laughs> mm. that's true. Who was your favourite, JC? Well, I think you've asked me this. My favourite was Steve Silvani. Yeah. And occasionally we've seen him up close and I still get a little breathless about <laughs> being near him. But I also loved Craig Bradley. Oh, yeah. I think it was his wide... Um, yes. armpit oh, yes. holes, yes, <laughs> and, it, the, and it, very, it, very large CFC too. On mm. Yeah, Benzie. right. Yep. It just always caught your eye. Yeah. Everyone it, from that team, I loved Craig mm. Bradley. I used to always try and bounce like he did. It was <laughs> as if he bounced it out in front of him, about a meter further than anyone else yeah. did. Yeah, Do you yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Does that ring a bell? Yes, it does. Now that you yeah, say he it, he had a very long bounce that he then had to run onto and catch or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was always running rather quickly. So mm. yeah, true. So you could just see that wide <laughs> side boob going. <laughs> my my favorite, my all time favorite was um, Fraser Brown. Actually, oh yeah. yes, I'm, I'm aware of this. <laughs> the tackle in the '99 oh, prelude. Oh. the best 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 day of my life that day. <laughs> We'll just keep you talking, Daisy, until you become a Carlton Carl supporter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's a nice navy blue beanie you're wearing. The, <laughs> the last <laughs> the last warm-up question is, what do you love about footy? Oh, what do I love about footy? So many things. But I think the reason I started playing footy and, and love watching it is just because of how free it is. I mean, a lot of sports, you, you're told where you have to stand and what you're allowed to do at certain times and that you have to wait for your turn to bat and all that kind of thing. Whereas footy, sort of like once you're out there, it's it's up to you where you want to run, how you want to do it. And I think when you have 36 or 32 um, <laughs> players 
out on a field doing that and chasing the one ball. It's such a good thinking man and woman's game, I mm. think. Like tactically when you've got people that can run wherever they want and there are so many different skills, it, it's awesome that tactical side of it and how that plays out. Yeah, I think, and I think people underrate that side of it, especially around, say, draft time with the men's draft. You know, they have to do all those tests and then a lot of recruitment's done around the tests, but there just does seem to be more... So much more to it and, mm-hmm. and and players that get taken further down the draft that have the game sense but might not have the elite attributes find their way into teams easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I'm, I've noticed now coaching the newbies. <laughs> yeah, it's something that you can't really measure and that's yeah. why you have these great stories of people that were overlooked in drafts and picked mm. at pick 90s because there's such an athletic uh, – an emphasis on the athleticism and yeah. skill of a player mm. whereas you really can't measure what – is going on in their brain and how mm. how important that is. I mean, we'll get off topic and I've mentioned Sam Mitchell already, but you look at the fall of Hawthorne this year in mm. men's AFL and I think that's just the unmeasurables of them as tacticians and yeah. coaches out on the field with the players that they lost with Mitchell and Lewis. Yeah, It just changes the whole look of that side and exposes players that are skillful that mm. don't necessarily think that way. Yeah. It's like, how do you measure that a player is always in the right spot at the right time? Mm. Like, yeah. That's not a stat. No, <laughs> it's not. But there are some players that they're just, are. They're just there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they found their way there very cleverly. <laughs> so, Daisy, we, I think vaguely on Twitter, I might have offered to cook you a meal, but I've just cut up some pineapple for you. I hope that's all right. Yeah. Um, I'm very <laughs> impressed. I've never been to a podcast or an interview where there's almonds mm. and homegrown organic walnuts <laughs> and fruits yeah, to select yeah. from it's, yes. it's a nice touch that's all right care, care of darcy's nonna um <laughs> but i thought i'd start a little bit with your role in the aflpa I, I guess that's kind of intrigued me what i think what the aflpa does is is slightly a mystery to those that are outside it but what your role is it has been so far mm-hmm. or if it's just getting started yeah, it is pretty. I am pretty new to the role, so I was appointed onto the board of the mm. AFL Players Association a couple of months ago now, um, and that that came at a, a the previous board meeting where they made us female players full members. So mm. they've been great in that they came on board unofficially from the outset when AFLW was getting off the ground and and said that they'd help represent us, which was invaluable um, mm. through the period of contract as the contracts were being formed and the terms and condition, conditions of our playing was sort of nutted out. It was really important to have them because, as you know, we, we were all just excited that there was a competition coming and would have gone into it mm. um, at 100 miles an hour without asking any questions. But they've been there and, and, and know how to protect players mm. doing that um, through their experience with the boys. So it was great to have them get on board. But um, it became official that we were... Um, fully fledged members and with that they wanted to have female representation on the board obviously so that Mm. you could have a a voice and a connection to the female players so um, yeah they Mm. asked me if I'd apply and I did and here I am the role itself um, so we meet quarterly and talk about all a range of issues Mm. at the moment it's being pretty highly dominated by the CBA (laughs) negotiations with Mm. the male players so that's taking up most of the conversations at the moment but it it's all sorts of things it's a group of players there's about eight male players and myself and then a couple of independent Mm. um board members as well 
from different walks of life or past players that get together and discuss player welfare, well-being issues, mm. um, all sorts of things. Yeah, right. <laughs> Retired players, injuries. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so once the CBA is signed off, which it's getting closer and closer, which we've been hearing, but it actually is, and hopefully um, everyone's happy in the next couple of weeks and it'll get passed through, but we'll move on to having a look at how the, the women's contracts look for next year. It was mm. a two-year deal heading into this first season, which would have gone into next season as well. But um, there were a lot of things that I guess we couldn't anticipate that have moved the goalposts mm. <laughs> yeah. the a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we'll have another look at that and see if there's any changes that need to be made. But, yeah, my role itself, I, I didn't really know what it would be. I just mm. said, yes, I'll do it because I'm passionate about making sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're represented and on all footy issues, but um, yeah, it's sort of just being a connection between our game, but also having a comment and bringing some diversity to thoughts mm-hmm. and opinions on the other stuff that pops up. Mm. Yeah. Have you found um, working with Paul Marsh and, and Kelly Appleby useful given their, their history with, with cricket? And I mean, cricket's probably quite advanced in terms of um, remuneration for women. Is that kind of... You have confidence in them with their experience? Yeah, I certainly have a lot of confidence. They're, they're both really passionate and have great intentions. They're coming from a really good place. But as you said, they also uniquely both have the experience that they went through when they worked for the Cricketers Association. So, um, yeah, it's great for them. They've got a lot of learnings that they bring across from that, um, definitely. Did you – I think most – well, most football fans, women's footy fans know a lot of your story and that you are a midwife. And I guess I thought, you know, working in a hospital, hospitals are pretty unionised kind of places. And did you have a lot of experience about the workings of unions and how that works, advocacy and collective bargaining and all that that you could bring across? Or did Not you, really. You know? I, to be honest, yeah, I'm learning a lot of, in terms of collective bargaining and um, the intricacies of it, I'm learning on, mm. the, on the run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly understood from being a nurse and midwife the value of, of a union. It's funny mm. though, like my, my thinking on how the Players Association work has has changed over mm. the, the last couple of months in that when they first started helping us out, the women's contracts, I was almost a bit sort of resistant to them because I was thinking, just shush, let's just get it started. Like, yeah. don't don't um, cause any trouble or yeah. um, any friction that will prevent us just getting out there on the park. And yeah. I didn't want it to look like we were, you know, asking for too much money. Mm. There's a real... Being demanding. Yeah, mm. yeah. And then once you get in on the inside and you understand it a little bit better and understand how that dynamic works I think yeah I've certainly noticed a shift mm. um we're not it's not just about asking for more money and I don't I don't think it is perceived negatively it mm. just takes a certain amount if you are going to get out there and yeah perform at a level that is required so it's it's protective more than anything mm. yeah I also have this theory that there's there's actually no such thing as a part-time athlete like you mm. might have part-time contact hours but you're actually an athlete all the time yeah. there's no <laughs> oh definitely yeah <laughs> couldn't agree more <laughs> i feel like this is our um kind of opportunity to kind of have a presidential style state of the <laughs> union just asking you everything about <laughs> about about football but um <laughs> obviously uh the afl announced that they're not going to expand the competition the aflw competition next year but they will look to do that in 2019 are you happy with that 
result? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the first year was such a huge success. Um, but the challenge now is making sure that we continue that. I think someone used the analogy I was talking to recently. It's like a band's second album. The first one's a hit <laughs> mm. and then the second one can be the most challenging one out of the first, second, third, fourth because yeah. people come in with expectation. Um, you know, people that realistically the the competition that happened last year was off the back of people going above and beyond their roles people at afl were working overtime and above and beyond what they previously had Mm. or their role demanded Mm. out of the goodness of their heart and there was such a goodwill thing around the game the same with the players they were very giving and generous and i hope that continues but that club land a lot of it wasn't properly resourced to the point where people had women's football resources so Mm. They did that. It it was amazing. People got the reward and now we have to back up and do it again and it has to be resourced. So there's a lot of – I think this year is going to be a real challenge to make sure it's, um, you know, as successful and just keeps going on the trajectory that it has mm. um, to make sure that it's sustainable. So in saying that, I think, yeah, uh, to expand and take on more would have been a risk. Yeah. Um, I under like that's a great thing that so many clubs want to get involved and and I really do hope we get to that point quickly where it is a fully fledged 18 team competition but yeah just a bit of a a holding pattern draw breath mm. make sure we we really consolidate and then go again and expand the following year is a is a smart move yeah. although it will come with some challenges in in yeah. terms of having to divvy up more talent and and redistribute players once those extra teams come in I think it's something that Again, people will take in their stride as just what we need to do to to keep it growing. Yeah. Well, in in that analogy, you know, you you have your whole life to prepare for the first album, or, or players and clubs they've had they've had this whole last twenty five years, you know, in a way to to get that first season up, and it's like, oh, okay, but what can, can you now do in twelve months? Um, yeah, without without bursting the bubble, yes. kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And we did kind of speak about that. On our last episode, like we've had local clubs have had such an influx of Mm. players, which means, you know, community grassroots clubs are having to find extra resources to to coach people how to play. Yeah. It's just had this huge effect on the game as a whole. Yeah. Mm. And so now you want to... You want to look after those people and make sure you get this bit right so that you don't then lose them and it's not a Mm. a short-term thing. Yeah, definitely. But like another thing is to... (laughs) I know it doesn't work this way and it's not why the AFL would have made the decision, but me as someone at a club that backed it in from the outset mm-hmm. and, and that's something I'm really proud of. I think reward the, the eight teams that had the foresight and were mm. brave enough to take it on and so reward them by letting them go around again as, yep. a, as an exclusive club. The eight mm. teams that said, yeah, I really believe in that, albeit with the risks that are involved and that we don't know how it will go. Mm. I believe in it enough that, that we'll do it and we'll give it a crack and we'll give these girls the opportunity. Good mm. on those eight teams. <laughs> yeah. So let them, let them go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, I personally have had a slight issue with, with some of the other clubs that have cited their own club's business interests as a reason to be included in mm. the women's competition. It's mm. like I don't know whether you actually should be putting your club's commercial interests ahead of the health of the competition as a whole mm. I, that's just my mm. my two cents <laughs> yeah look i do i do slightly feel for the teams who did put their yeah, license yeah. Oh, uh, the application and in and didn't get one and yeah. said they were ready um and didn't get one and now have to hold mm. their breath for another year um but you know i, I trust in the process that they didn't get it for 
a particular reason that others were more ready mm. um, and that, you know, hopefully 24 months will, you know, two years of waiting makes them more prepared and, you know, maybe they will jumpstart, you know, maybe they will come in as the, the dominant teams because they're, they're that much more mm. ready. They've been able to improve their facilities and so on without, you know, people using them at the time. And, yeah, we'll see We'll see how they go, I'm sure. And it is creating some great work that those clubs are doing within their region. So it's not just AFLW that they can have an impact. I know Geelong's doing a great mm, job yeah. with their VFL team and having a real impact in that western region. St Kilda similarly with the big Bayside population, lots of girls playing footy out there. So mm. there's plenty of impact that can have within the women's footy space to start putting the roots in for a team when it when it does come the following year. Yeah, and it's giving them time to actually have that focus mm. on the community level Yeah, without, you know, splitting their resources. Yeah. Okay, we're all agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Daze, you spoke a little bit before about um, your role on the AFLPA board and um, that one of the, the great things about it was bringing diversity to that board. We've also seen you on a lot of the men's coverage of the AFL, um, again, bringing that diversity to our screens. How, firstly, have you, have you found your, your media roles? I've, I've started enjoying them. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because the first few weeks I was thinking, oh, my goodness, seven minutes and I have to think of something to say. <laughs> and I would be on countdown of looking at the run sheet thinking, okay, I have to say two more things and then I'm off. And I haven't hopefully stuffed it up completely <laughs> and I can go home, put my tracksuit <laughs> pants on and breathe. So that was my first four weeks. <laughs> Did it look like that? No. <laughs> Please say no. no. <laughs> um, yeah, so now I have gotten to the point where you just know the run of the day mm. and mm. there's so many – it's like any new job really where yeah, yeah. you just burn three times as much energy because you're mm. working out who you can ask your stupid questions <laughs> to yeah. when you're allowed to – just switch off and, and not be thinking and ready. So, yeah, as all that's – I've gotten better at all that, I can actually sit and absorb and think I'm on the boundary of a football match and I get mm. to walk out there and interview a player at half time. or, yeah, so I'm enjoying it a lot more mm. um, and feeling like I can just talk football rather than be too nervous and yeah. worried about it. But it's great. It's a, a really good opportunity and one of the beauties of, I guess, playing in the competition now is that – suddenly we all have so much more credibility, I think, mm. in other roles is that it's that old thing of seeing is believing. Suddenly people see that girls can play and then mm. for some reason it's just given women, whether they play or not, extra currency within the industry, I, I feel. And yeah. a lot of women have said that to me, whether they play or not. It's just had a huge impact. Um, so, yeah, I can, I'm living that and enjoying it. Mm. One of the things I really enjoyed from – obviously, I watch a lot of you when you're on TV. <laughs> um, and you were on a something on, on one of the Foxtel shows. And I think it was Jared Waitley. You made the comment to Jared Waitley that, you know, he – you didn't quite catch his playing career <laughs> in that he – you know, he's a commentator and he hasn't played, but he's still perceived as having a valid opinion mm. and, and that you have played for a long time. Um, but there is that expectation that – you know, women, not only do they need to know their stuff, they need to be experienced and they need to be kind of 200% better than any equivalent <laughs> male. Mm. Um, not to, you know, not to cast nasturtions, as Catherine Kim would say, on Jared Waitley. Because I, you know. <laughs> I love Jared. I, yeah. yeah oh, he's I, one of the best. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm. But um, have you have you found any pushback or resistance to you getting opportunities because of 
No, not the bar at all. Set higher. Not that I've heard. Yeah. I mean, oh, try not to think about what people say about you because you can't <laughs> keep everyone happy. But mm. um, yeah, f- directly, I've only ever felt really supported and encouraged. Mm. And there's a general sense of people wanting you to, to do well mm. rather than the opposite, which is yeah, quite right. refreshing and nice. So yeah, I yeah I haven't had any real friction or negativity negativity but oh, no doubt it would be out there but you sort of have to just surround yourself with the people that you know understand and are, mm. are supportive i suppose yeah and not read some of the online <laughs> comments yeah <laughs> just stay off twitter yeah <laughs> um do you do you have an eye on commentary at all um yes it's something that i i would definitely consider in the future but I honestly feel so green and like there's so Mm, much to learn in the role that I'm doing now it's amazing how easy it looks um (laughs) when you sit back and watch it on tv Mm. it all happens so quickly Mm. and there's so many little challenges of it so the people that commentate it's an art in itself Mm. and I mean take your hat off to them um yeah amazing but it's something that I would look at in the future um definitely I used to (laughs) sit on my couch at home with my dad with the volume turned down with headsets on, actually, like <laughs> yours, Al, um, from his aeroplane, and we would commentate games. That's awesome. As when I was a kid, and we would only get up if, like, at half time or in the quarter break. So <laughs> we, we took it pretty seriously. Um, so I've had a little bit of practice. I'd need a bit of, you know, refinement, but mm. <laughs> I'd give it a crack. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you have any of your own you know comedyisms or mm. <laughs> uh, not that I can remember? Mm. Sure, they'll come. <laughs> yeah, Dad would have had plenty. None that could have gone to air though. Mm. <laughs> so I wanted to go back in time a little bit. So there have been a lot of players who have been in the media over AFLW that are from the Falcons and they often and even before this and I used to get asked this as well as when I was president and people say the Falcons have been a very successful team what's your secret and most of the answers have been culture right <laughs> the answer is culture and then they elaborate a little bit on what that means and I guess I you know have been a little one of my side projects is trying to collate Falcons history which has been a challenge in itself um and before my time you know, in, I think in 2000 and between 1996 and 2004, the Falcons weren't particularly successful on field. They went through quite a, you know, administratively, you know, diversified the club. They included soccer and cricket, became a multi-sport club. They lobbied the council, got a new ground and so on. But then in 2005, something quite special happened in that Peter Searle started to coach. The Falcons made their first grand final and then they've made every grand final ever since. And you arrived that year. And a few other people arrived that year. And I just wanted to – I feel like a lot of the seeds of the Falcons culture had been so before. I think you can find an article online from the early 90s that talks about the Falcons being a supportive place where women can come and just be encouraging and have fun and, and not take each other down kind of thing. But some other competitive element was really laid in in 2005. And I just wanted – to see if you have any memories of that time and the people that arrived and what kind of started then? Yeah, I did arrive in 2005, which was Pete's first year of coaching. So I can't really comment on the contrast yeah, between yeah. the time before and, and what changed. But certainly something I remember um, Pete was very strong on was 
it, it was almost ahead of its time in terms of setting a standard that um, and a set, a set of expectations on what was okay within in a football sense. So you had to come to both nights of training. Didn't matter whether you're the best player or not the best player. There was there was expectations of everyone and a, a culture, I suppose, of professionalism in in how you prepare. And it was it was probably above and beyond what the the standard of the league demanded at that time. And that's what I mean by ahead of its time. In that, you know, you, you could have rolled around in that competition. There was nothing really more to aspire to at mm. the time. So it was quite visionary by Pete to start laying that out in. Mm in that it was preparing us to, to play in this competition we're now playing in mm. 12, 13 years later. So that that was big. She And a lot of it, it wasn't necessarily on-field, it was off-field behaviour as well. She mm. certainly expected a, a level of professionalism whilst it was still social sport and there were some people making up the team that, that were just playing for fun. There was still um, standards and behaviours that you had to live by when you were a falcon and representing the falcons in terms of off-field drinking and mm. how you prepared for games and she she was big on a, one little catchphrase that I remember her saying a lot was that she wanted to make the club a place she'd be proud to bring her family mm. and and just that itself made it um again I can't comment too much on what it was like before but it was pretty grassrootsy social mm. Mm. um I remember as a 16 year old that it was you know it was like a pretty rough footy club environment in mm. that there was a lot of whilst it was very inclusive and I never had any issues there was mm. a lot of drinking and smoking and all that kind yep. of thing and slowly that got weeded out based yep. on that f- philosophy of wanting to make it somewhere you could bring your family so that was a big shift but I think the the biggest thing in terms of actual on-field um, how we created such a successful period and are still kind of living by that and seeing the fruits of it with the amount of players that got drafted and had an impact in AFLW is that it was this place where you were encouraged and um, accept you were allowed to try your absolute bloody hardest, mm-hmm. be competitive, want to be the best you could be and it all worked and everyone cohabitated wanting to be that. So mm-hmm. I think one of my experiences as a teenager was that, you know, trying hard isn't that cool Mm, and if you do you're a flog you're a try hard and and don't want to be good because you know it's almost it's tall poppy syndrome Mm. to a degree but it was this unique environment where you were encouraged to be that and Mm. with that everyone else kind of wanted to do that as well and rather than then get competitive to the point where you were annoyed if someone else achieved Mm. you you celebrated each other's achievements and and you know enjoyed them together I suppose so what that did was created a, a team that just egged each other on and pushed each, kept raising the bar for each other mm. so a critical mass of people that were striving to be better than what they needed to be in that current competition and, mm. and expecting more of themselves from a profession professionalism point mm-hmm. of view and then with that it became this perpetual thing where people that didn't want to do that just di- either didn't come to the club or didn't mm. survive at the club yeah. and it started attracting people that did think that way. So that's why we got Elise O'Day and Katie Brennan and mm. people that moved interstate because they wanted to come and be involved in that because they saw it as a, a good environment to get better and have both team and individual success. So it became almost self-sustaining mm. because, of, because of that and people that didn't want to live by it just left because they didn't yeah. like those ideas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when... 
Yes, I think you've summed that up very well. Um, when I hear people say the answer is culture, I go, yeah, it's like when you homemade yogurt and <laughs> and you have a little bit of yogurt culture <laughs> and then you add milk and it infects the rest yeah. of it. Because I think if you look at the lists of the teams from 2005 onwards, like the, the, there's a turnover. There's, a, there's quite a big turnover of players, but that critical mass is still there and they – you know, for lack of a better word, infect the rest with mm. this kind of mindset. Um, yeah, that either people take to it or they don't. And um, yeah, I, and I think it is it is particularly unique for all female environments where there is that tall poppy syndrome, don't try too hard. Um, you, if you're going to try too hard, it's not about these things, you know. Um, it's, about, it's about other stuff. Whereas, um, you know, and I certainly found when I came to the club in 2010, I didn't know anything about women's footy and I just wanted to give it a go and and I had thought naively I'm going to be pretty good at this because you know I can kick and I can mark and then I walked in and I was like oh god (laughs) I'm really bad like I'm really bad compared to all these girls but for whatever reason it didn't frighten me off and I think it was that encouragement I didn't feel like oh you know I'm really unfit and I can't kick a mark as well as these players but they're encouraging me to do better so I'll stay and try and do that whereas I think a different temperament or if that encouragement hadn't been there I would have walked in thinking I was going to rule the place realized I couldn't and then just left um yeah but I think players lots of players have had that experience and and stayed around and and seen it as a challenge a good challenge as opposed to a kick in the guts Mm. yeah I remember one of my very early uh, pre-season training sessions last year, we were doing um, like lane kicking where you would have 10 kicks with someone and then you would move down the line. And I was looking down the line and that was just our boss, <laughs> Elise O'Day, Daisy Pierce, <laughs> Katie Brennan. And I was absolutely, pardon the language, but shitting myself. <laughs> but through the experience, it was like, no, I was actually really encouraged and, you know, oh, you know, great kick, Al, um, that kind of thing. And, and I've I've since tried to, you know, invite people down to training and, you know, their, their reaction's always like, oh, oh, no, I couldn't train at Darabin, you know, mm. they're too good. And I'm like, no, you don't mm. actually understand. It's everyone is there for a purpose and mm. that's to get better and to include everyone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think you've both summed up how I sort of feel about it and why I think like kind of what I was saying is that, you know, whilst we all want to be the best, we, there's an encourage. You might come in, Julie, you might have come in and gotten better and taken my spot or someone else's mm. spot, but there's no – people aren't threatened by that. It's no. almost mm. – there's a um, – yeah, it's encouraged. And mm. like a lot of sports, I think, when new te- new players come into the environment or young players are coming up, there's almost a bit of a, oh, you've got to earn your stripes and let's mm. hold them back a little bit because yeah. of, I'm threatened. But mm. I've never felt that at Darabin. It's always been let's make everyone as good as they can possibly be. And if that means you drop out of the side, well, mm. the club's in a better place for it. I think there's definitely a, a element of that at, at the place as well. Mm. And I think what you were touching on before about what Pete did and kind of set a level of expectations that – were unique at the time. It was like Darabin was setting a bar for itself, even mm. though no one else was demanding it, or demanding it of the team. And then the next year they set the bar higher. But in the same sense, each person's kind of set a high, uh, set a bar relative to them. You know, it's not we can't all be 
We can't all kick as well on both our feet as Daisy Pierce, but we're going to try and kick better than we can now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that there is that. We just want you to get better from where you are, as opposed to. If you're not up to here right now, yeah, then you're they, not then, valued. Yeah, yeah, you're not valued. Yeah, and definitely. I think that all those learnings can just be applied to all other teams, all other sports, all other workplaces. Um, and it's certainly something I have taken into the other fields of my life, that kind of idea. Mm. Yeah. Now, the your current um, Darabin coach has recently been announced, is going to be joining you at Melbourne. What a coop. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> uh, You'll no, have to cut out the laughing. Jane will be offended by that. No, no. but seriously, what a coop. Go on. <laughs> uh, no, but you know how, how excited are you about that? Yeah, very excited. Jane's someone that I've played a lot of footy with at the Falcons and I couldn't believe how good a coach she was. I mm. knew she'd be a good coach. She's a great communicator and was always a good communicator on field. She's a teacher, so she comes with a great skill set. But I was blown away in her first season as senior coach last year in terms of her read on the game, her ability to construct training to hit the you know the things that we were trying to work on from the previous game or the game coming up. She makes up her own drills. A lot of them are original. So her understanding of the game and, and, and how to teach is just incredible. Um, so she'll be a great addition to the coaching team at Melbourne, definitely. We, we had all a, a full male coaching panel last year as a lot of teams did and I mean didn't matter they were they were great the guys but I think she'll just add another dynamic in in that having a female there will just create someone that you know might connect with some of the girls a bit better and yeah I think she'll be awesome and that kind of leads to my my next question about um coaching and and football roles for women uh in this new AFLW competition how would you like to see those pathways open up? Um, I think probably to this point, the thing that's held, like, there aren't a lot of great female coaches out there. Mm. And I think it's partly been because there there haven't been many that have seen themselves capable of doing that or they haven't, like whilst it's changing a little bit now in terms of the pathway that male coaches are following, a lot of people played a lot of football. That's, how, that's where they learnt the game and their their understanding of football and then they became coaches when they couldn't play anymore is how it's kind of played out. Yeah. Whereas, um, so so women never really had a chance to follow that and become a coach because they haven't played much. Mm. <laughs> so now that that pathway's there, we're cr- there's a lot more women out there with a huge understanding of the game and it is more accepted and I guess, you know, women will see them themselves capable of coaching so those two things together I think will mean that we'll see a lot more coming through um I don't know how you do it you know in as an intervention to Mm. make more coaches but just keep encouraging local clubs to Mm. give opportunities to female coaches and I mean they get the, the p- people that have played now or or not played and have an interest just need to keep putting their hand up and mm. That's the first thing, I suppose. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the roles are there, aren't they, at grassroots level? Mm. It's, it is just a matter of putting your hand up. Mm. But I think, yeah, I mean, like anything, sometimes women are, are hesitant. Mm. You know, that, oh, I don't have the full skill set. I don't have the full knowledge. But I think you just got to throw your hat in the mm. ring to an extent. I think there is a reluctance sometimes for people to put their hand up for jobs because they, 
they're like they feel that they're not ready and I just think with most things you're never ready yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're never ready you're never going to feel 100% ready so you just got to jump in and for whatever reason women are, are much more likely to to not put their hands up I think the other thing is and this is my own experience is there's so many other jobs at football clubs that are kind of uh, more quote-unquote women's roles like running the canteen or being the team manager you know washing the tops that kind of thing where you almost get preoccupied by doing those bits that you forget that oh no you could be the coach too and I know that that was my experience like I wanted to coach it you know at a, a lowish level I certainly don't compare myself to Jane but um when I was doing other stuff but I just felt like oh well I, there's not enough time in the day by the time I get there and I open up and I run the canteen and I do this like I can't actually coach whereas I think you know it wasn't really um prioritizing the fact that no coaching is probably more important on what I'd want to do more than the rest of the stuff but I just got so caught up you know it's the same with like domestic life I got so caught up with those jobs Mm. um and you see that at lots of clubs women are kind of running around doing the behind the scenes Mm. jobs and not putting themselves forward to be in that role yeah yeah I think we'll certainly see a surge in female coaches now that we're starting to see more people play the game because that's where Mm. you get to learn the game and then be able to teach the skills, I suppose. Not that it's a complete prerequisite, but you have mm. to have some sort of understanding of the game. Mm. I mean, at grassroots level, you could probably, um, to a degree, just use ex- other resources around you and bring other skills to the table. Mm. But once you get up into senior levels, I think you you sort of have to <laughs> have a, a knowledge of yeah. the game that mm. because of the lack of playing pathway just hasn't been there for, for mm. women before. And now with the experiences we're getting at, um, in AFL clubs, VFL clubs, people often ask me, oh, do you think there'll ever be a female coach in the AFL? And uh, of course there will be because yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they're now getting to mm. learn the, the things that they need to know to be able to do that and then bring their own individual mm. characteristics and skill sets or life experiences and of course mm. there will be. Yeah, but there is a general reluctance. I know I'm taking us back a point. But even, you know, at Falcons, we run a big junior soccer program and it's very prescriptive at like mini ruse level like you're coaching five and six year olds mm. your own soccer skills don't does yeah. not need to be particularly yeah, high no. and the same with Auskick like it's pretty prescriptive sometimes you just got to hold the ball up and they've got to run and take it out of your hands but still women and mums don't put themselves forward and it, it, I do think it's there is some kind of unspoken thing of oh the dads do that <laughs> mm. um when yeah women could really be doing it at that level and 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 progress up if they wanted to from a really Mm. yeah and there are some great resources like you can pretty much learn to coach off the afl community website for every age so if there's a woman out there or a man who's being held back by thinking that they're they don't know enough you don't need to know much and what you don't know you can Mm. learn on the job Yeah. yeah actually even getting back to our our junior soccer program um Earlier in the year, they ran a soccer for soccer mums three-week kind of course. And out of that, you know, a few of the mums have put their hand up to play senior soccer. Oh, wow. But more so, they've, they're more engaged and helping to referee games and, and mm. take on coaching roles. So, sometimes it's kind of like you do need to... In target re- them and give them and a bit of a yeah, bridge. Yeah. and break down the barrier a little bit. Mm, yeah, definitely. Mm. So, there's an idea for free. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Daisy, I just want to set the record straight because I was reading an article somewhere the other day and I couldn't for the life of me, life of me tell you where it was. Was it a it. blog? It may have been a blog, but it said that you were having a late start to the VFL season because um, of your media commitments and... <laughs> Confirm or deny? <laughs> yeah, confirm or deny? Uh, deny. <laughs> no, uh, I have been pretty busy, but I still would have been available to play and I've been down to most games yeah. to, to help out. But um, I have a few little lingering in- injuries hanging over from the AFL season and just a bit of a management thing, I suppose, because of the amount of footy that we've played in the last 18 months with the VFL season heading straight into a pretty hectic mm. AFL season and then round we go again for another VFL season. Um, yeah, a couple of things that my body just told me was enough was enough. I needed <laughs> to have a bit of a rest. I might, I've got a problem with my foot. I've got an extra bone on the back of my heel that mm. after 13 seasons of footy has started causing a bit of a stress <laughs> reaction, inflammation in my ankle from banging against my leg every time I kick. Yeah. Apparently it's normal to have the bone. About a third of people have it. I'm going deep here. <laughs> but only if you do a lot of ballet or kicking sports does it become a problem. So it's the latter, not the former. But <laughs> um, yeah, so you that's... Can, you can pirouette on a, on a footy field though. Um, yeah, so it, it popped up kind of towards the end of the last VFL season where I thought, oh my, I've got a tight Achilles. But mm. it wasn't a tight Achilles. It was just that my ankle was a bit inflamed. So over the course of the season, it just got a bit more and more junky and <laughs> needed a rest and there, there was a couple of weeks there where I, I had to see a surgeon and might need a surgery but I've avoided that so I'm two weeks off playing after a bit of a rehab program on awesome. that mm. and I've got a sore back which is just an old girl's kind of <laughs> injury that I'm just going to have to learn to live with mm. backs and the hammies and all of that which when I first started mm. playing back in 05, 06 I remembered some of the older girls saying that oh you don't pull up like you used to or, mm. I've done my calf. I've done this, I've done that, and it's not the same anymore now that I'm nearly 30. And I used to just think, oh, that's just because you're not training properly. (laughs) You don't do your recovery right. And now I think, no, it's a thing. It's It's a thing. thing. Yeah. So it's... A 16-year-old telling these girls off. um, Yeah. So it's it's funny because you've now got access to more treatment and recovery and Mm. got more knowledge of how to manage your body. But with that... You can't slow down the clock. <laughs> so I'm kind of just staying on par, not getting any further ahead because I'm getting, I am getting older. I've had a few footy seasons. Mm. Just a couple. Yeah. So yeah. just a rest and getting on top of a couple of kind of chronic built-up injuries and then I'll be back out there for the Mighty Falcons. I was hoping it would be this weekend, but it won't be. Yeah. So I'm hoping to return against the Devils for the big clash against Eastern Devils in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Back on the track this week, which has been good. Mm. It's been good to see you out there. Um, I was going to ask you a bit about, because you have been on the sidelines, you've been able to watch the games. Um, And what have you noticed? We've had all these girls from AFLW flow back into VFLW. And what what stood out to you this season? Oh, there certainly has been an increase in the standard. Mm. Um, I mean, back in the day, even going back two years, like, Games, you would watch games and you could quickly pick out the real stars in each team, you know, exposing a lack of depth. And those stars would just play based on talent and skill rather than any real structure. Whereas teams now, there's a lot more depth. Um, yeah, you, you constantly, I mean, we've had 
girls come down to Darabin that you just think, oh, where have they learnt to play the game and why haven't they been playing? Because they can just pick it up and away they go. Um, a lot more athletic, a lot more structures, huge understanding of the game, probably from girls bringing back their experiences from AFLW, but also just a greater standard of coaching and uh, teams, VFL teams using more resources in terms of watching vision and all of that kind of thing has just created this general uplift. Um, a bit more at stake as well, like the new girls that have come in are, are probably have an eye on making their way into the AFLW, so it's mm. changed the the intent and application of some of the girls that are around around the league, so mm. it's exciting. Yeah. I've noticed a huge jump, I don't know about you, Elle. In the standard. the standard. Oh, yeah, it's been it's been enormous. Actually, I was talking to someone after the, the Diamond Creek game and the comment was, this is AFLW standard. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It was an outstanding game. Mm. Yeah. P- Apart from the result, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was a yeah, it was a great game, and I feel like by the end of this season, I, you know, it could even eclipse AFLW standard in a way, in that that longer season, mm. more time together, even though the the physical resources might not be there, the the team dynamic you can build over a longer time might trump <laughs> mm. um, those you know bit flashier resources. We'll see though. That will all just push AFLW up as well. Yeah. And, and teams in AFLW have now had more time. Like mm-hmm. I was talking to our coach a couple of days ago about how good it's going to be this year, not having to come into the environment and get to know what strings to pull for each player. Mm. I mean, you'll have a few new players, obviously, mm. but you've got a core list there that you you know how they tick and how they operate and where they need work and where you can help them. You can spend more time across this VFL season getting ready so that come November it's not come in and meet your new teammates mm, and yeah. work out where to park and spend three weeks doing <laughs> all that. <laughs> it's hit the ground running and away you go. So AFLW will just explode off the back of more time as well, I think. Mm. Yeah. So um, in your first season at Melbourne, which which player that you hadn't previously played with probably surprised you the most, I guess? Oh, I had a lot of... Um, favourites <laughs> not favourites uh, but Lil- I Lily Mithin uh, <laughs> she was until she started following me around at training and playing on me all the time and she would hurt me every single time she's got bony little elbows and hips and every time I got hurt it was at training and because of her so nah she was a ripper I was impressed by Lil and I mean good on her there's a lot of th- people said she was too small and too young and the way that she applies herself to her footy and mm. just competes and wants to be the best player she can be and is a great team person and club person. All credit to her for the season she had. It's There's not a lot of luck and fortune in football. Mm. Um, there's a little bit in terms of injuries and that kind of thing and sometimes they're cruel. But I think you create your own luck and Lil's an example of that. So good on her for um, her nomination as a rising star and she's got a bright future ahead. But there are a couple of others that I really – I mean, I lo- I've loved our group. Um, I mean, everyone probably says that, but mm. – a couple of others that I loved playing with and was impressed by. One was Shell Scott from VU Spurs, who her story was pretty well documented in that she was a farmer that travelled down from Colac every every day to train after getting up at five and milking her cows. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, amazing. So what she did for our team was incre- 
incredible in terms of just thinking, don't think you're tired to come to training or got something to complain about because you got stuck in traffic because what about Shell Scott? (laughs) So that that was her, one of the roles she played. But just the way she trained and played, 100% commitment. I love playing with people that will do anything for the team, whatever's demanded, put their body on the line. Um, yeah, she was a real – I think she was underrated across the season in terms of the impact that she had on games I for us. I thought she was, like, one of your key link players. Oh, and huge. the fact that she missed the GWS game, yeah, just I reckon that hurt you yeah. like, quite badly. Yeah, oh, oh, the GWS game. Not, we sorry. could sit and do a whole <laughs> podcast on that, but <laughs> let's not. Uh, but yeah, she was really underrated. Like mm. she's one of those players that might not get a lot of stats, but in sixteen aside format where you've got a forward line that's really exposed, it's almost as much of a, da- a risk kicking it inside fifty as it is an mm. opportunity because it would come out really quickly. And she always created a contest. She always went a hundred percent. Got to balls that a lot of other forwards weren't getting to just with how she ridiculously ran herself at the footy and at contests. So. Hugely underrated. Another one, I mean, I could I could say Paxi and Junior, they and and Hickey, but I play a lot of footy with them. But again, and they, they know already. They yeah, <laughs> they know the loves there. I could list out the whole team, but yeah, Sarah Lampard, impressive. Catherine Smith, super impressive. Future captain of yeah. AFLW, I would say. Mm-hmm. Just. The list goes on. Apologies to anyone that I missed. You, I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daisy, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. We finally got you on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. No, I know I had fun. to email your manager, but still, <laughs> you did not take that back. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no, it was good. I did come honestly because I thought I'd get to see Toby. No. But no. <laughs> No, I'm joking. I, I do listen to your podcast and I enjoy it. I spend a fair bit of time in the car, travelling up to Bendy to see yeah. my boyfriend. But mm. Have you had a favourite episode so far? Um, or? Oh. I'm just putting you on the spot yeah. here. Make your answer that. Anytime, anytime Darcy Vessio's on. Oh, so pretty much when I'm not on. No, no, no. It's just she's great value. She is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed I, – it's just great listening, just oh, easy listening. Thanks. Yeah, that's how – And you always talk yourselves down in terms of your understanding of the game, you in particular, but you're often on the money mm. with your points. Okay, thanks. About Dennis. how the game flows and – I think you're wrong, but okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yes, thank you. Uh, I, I know it wasn't our idea, but I am I really want us to lobby the the inside 30 stat mm, yeah. for mm. AFLW for next well, year. We that's the stat we take at Melbourne. Oh, yeah, right. There you go. We don't look at the paint. Right. Mm. Well, we don't yeah. count them. Yeah. Mm. Well, oh, good. It's fair point. Actually, yeah. speaking of lobbying, I'm going home now to write a letter to the um, Darabin City Council mm. about our fence at AH Cat oh, Reserve. Oh, yes. And I'm just putting it out there on the podcast mm. in mm. case someone's listening <laughs> <laughs> that there has been an exposed concrete Yes. pylon thing mm. and the fence has been fallen over for probably two years now yeah, yeah. I, my brother tells me it would take 10 minutes to fix so yeah. let's fix it mm. yeah well, someone cracks their head open on the concrete <laughs> 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 on that note, on that note <laughs> thank you for joining us <laughs> <Yeah>. thanks Dave. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time on this April life bye